I'm Alicia. And I'm Ashley. And we are Murd Nerds. Hello, fellow Murd Nerds. My name is Alicia, and if you are new here, we are a weekly true crime podcast that covers strange and unusual unsolved murders and missing persons cases within our home state of Indiana. Who would have thought that the home of the Hoosiers would hold such grim and mysterious secrets? This week, it's my turn to tell a little tale, but before we get started, how you doing, Ashley? I'm doing very well. Um, I haven't really been doing much that is worth talking about. (laughs) Jeremy, how you been? I've been great. It's been a great week so far. Um, I do want to, and we kind of touched on this a little bit, I'd like for our listeners to get to know you guys a little bit more. So I wanted to come out with some random questions throughout some of these podcasts. Can mm-hmm. we can we do that? I mean, yeah, okay. absolutely. Let's so, change it up a little. As our as our listeners get to know both of you as our as our leads here, what guys what gets you interested in doing this podcast and investigating murders in the state of Indiana? Do you want me to go first? If you'd like to. I think that my main thing is, especially our focus is unsolved, Mm -hmm. which we are talking in talks with, like making a Patreon and doing some solved cases just for extra interest. Um, But my main thing is just our local people have questions and and there are people out there that have answers. And it's about those two things coming together. And I think that us bringing these to light again after so many years of just inactivity is – that's my main thing is just getting these out there and hopefully, you know, getting them the a little more noteworthy and yeah, and I, getting some tips into the cops. I, I agree. I completely agree. That's why um, when we had started talking about doing this, I wanted to fixate on unsolved cases in the beginning, and then we decided to, d- to just do solely Indiana missing mm-hmm. persons, missing persons, and unsolved cases because there's not a lot of uh, talk about it. There's not a lot of, and even locally, like yeah, yeah. I mean, m- uh, most of these cases, unless you dig for unsolved missing, na- or, you know, Indiana solely our state, you're not hearing about these things. And the more I'm hearing our listeners feedback. It's like, I had no idea this was going on or had went on, or I had no idea somebody was murdered here and it was never even didn't get much traction or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. So yeah, I agree. We wanted to just bring these cases to light, give them a little bit more of uh, the recognition they deserve so that they can be solved. And I think that's important. Yeah. That had to have been a really interesting conversation to get started. It was like, Oh, Hey, you want to do a podcast about this? <laughs> well, yeah, we've been talking about doing a true crime podcast for years. Yeah. We right. just finally came together and did it. And then she had come up with the idea to focus on unsolved cases in Indiana. And I immediately was like, I think that's a great idea. Start local. Focus on our people and our you know, towns in our state. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really good jump off point for what we're looking to do here. Well, and, you know, you listen to true crime Mm-hmm. You consume true crime content pretty regularly, like yes. I do. How often do you hear Indiana cases? Not often. Not often. Not often. And it's and that's not to say that there's there's not a frequency there because oh, there is. It's there's huge. a lot. It's just they're not 
they're just not out there yeah. for consumption. They're hard to find. Yeah. They really are difficult to find information on. So I think that kind of, you know, other than like the the Pelty murders. Right. Um, well, or Delphi. like a, a yearly, a yearly five minute sec- segment on a local news station. Yeah. You know, there's just, there's just no. Well, and finding out about the people themselves, I think is really important too. Then oh, yeah, humanizing. somebody's missing. That's, yeah. That's yeah. what I love about what you guys are doing here so far is you're really getting into the people that are involved in it and how they feel about, you know, who's missing in their family or even the person who's missing. And you're, you're giving them an insight to the person who is missing mm-hmm. or has been murdered. I like that about all what, what you guys have been doing so Thanks. far. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. It's coming along quite well. <laughs> I think so, too. I think we're doing pretty good. We're still new. We're still a little infants in this. but I really liked the analogy you used. You said, we're building the plane as we fly it. And that rings so true to what we're doing because we literally, every episode we record, we learn something that we need to or can do better. Mm-hmm. And then we apply that to the next episode. And I think that is reflected in the the quality of our content that we've been putting out. I think every single episode we release is the best episode we have. Yeah, if absolutely. That makes sense. We're on episode better. 10 this week mm-hmm. and it's such a dramatic jump. Wait from... a second. That's kind of like a milestone. Yeah, oh, it is. Oh, I didn't bring any champagne. Oh, damn <laughs> it. I want some champagne. Well, have, have some water. <laughs> <laughs> so this week's case is, it's a doozy, a big doozy. In episode zero, I mentioned that my love of true crime and tales of the unsolved began when I was really young from watching Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. So during lockdown in April of 2020, I had just given birth smack dab in the beginning of a global pandemic. Um, between just giving birth and nursing my babies, I spent a lot of time just hanging out on the couch because, one, I couldn't leave, and two, if you know anything about nursing newborns, they're hungry. So, And they're hungry all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so due to this, I decided to rewatch all the episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, and that's how I found, about, I found out about this case. And it's in Season 1, Episode 11, and it's available on YouTube if anyone is interested in watching it. So this has been on your radar for two years almost yes. now? This okay. has been on my radar for a while. And when I was writing my list of cases, you were like, I oh, was like, this one. This one. Okay. This is the mysterious unsolved case of the deaths of Clarence and Geneva Roberts. So it's a two-person one. My sources are obviously the episode of Unsolved Mysteries findagrave.com seems to be our favorite. I know. The people who run our local Find a Grave, they are really great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, A YouTube video by Mrs. True Crime, Wikipedia, the Columbus Republic newspaper, and the Brown County Democrat newspaper. Ooh, Brown County. Brown County. Now, so it's cool because a lot of our cases, we're not able to use Wikipedia because they're not well-known enough to have a page. So this one did, in fact, have a Wikipedia page that overviewed the case. Wiki mer- Mysteries. Mysteries. <laughs> Wiki Mysteries, which okay. is, I combed through that whole website and wrote down every single Indiana case I found. So, um, yeah. But today's case begins in Nashville, Indiana. Nashville is a small historic town located in southern Indiana in Brown County. Nashville is a very sleepy, quiet town 
Lots of little specialty shops. I have been to Nashville. You've been to Little Nashville? I have been because um, we used to camp and canoe in Brown County. Mm -hmm. And it's like they have like little leather shops. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have been there. Yeah, Little Nashville. I like to call it Little Nashville. I stepped in a big pile of shit when I was there (laughs) and had to walk around in all of these shops with shit on my shoe. Oh, no. So, yes, there's lots of little specialty shops and antique stores that line the streets. It has a long history with art. Um, It was the center of the Brown County Art Colony, the Brown County Art Gallery, and was home to the American Impressionist artist T.C. Steele, who led the the movement in Midwest landscape paintings. That doesn't surprise me because the buildings even, they're, they're really artsy and they're pretty, Yeah, the, the way they decorate yeah. them on the strip. From yeah. what I saw, there's a lot of murals everywhere, mm-hmm. and it just looks like a really like dreamy little town. Yeah. Just a little fun place to be. So at the time of our story, the population was only around 700, but now it boasts a whopping 1,500 residents. <laughs> Despite its size, the community itself is larger than life. It definitely has the everyone-knows-everyone kind of atmosphere. But as we all know too well, small towns can go one of two ways in unusual situations. Either the town supports you, or the town turns its back on you and rumors explode. But in this story, the whole town was split, including the Roberts family. So let's begin by explaining a little bit about two of Nashville's most memorable residents in life and in death. Geneva Faye White Roberts was born on January 23, 1921, to James and Laura White. She was the youngest of seven children. Geneva was born eight years before the Great Depression began, but before the collapse of the U.S. economy, the Whites were fairly poor and struggled raising their seven children. Born and raised in Nashville, many people knew Geneva. She was known to be devoted, warm, kind-hearted, and easy to get along with. Maybe this is why Clarence took a liking to her, and why the events that occurred later in their life transpired. Clarence Joseph Roberts was born March 5, 1918, to Joseph and Francis Roberts. He grew up as the middle child of seven, but also had five half-siblings. He was born and raised in Nashville, too, and his family was well-known in the town. Clarence had a very good relationship with his brothers his entire life. So with families of that size and the population was still only 700 people at the time, <laughs> was it really like four point. families there or what? <laughs> I was even looking into um, Geneva and Clarence's parents and they some of them had like 13 siblings. Yeah, it's like how do you get the population down? a sign of the times that at that point because everybody was, you know, working on farms. Clarence's dad was a retired um, farmer by the time he died. So he... Uh, just had there's just so breed, many kids. You got to breed farm workers. So, so what you're saying is, is they the day the, during the day they plow the fields and at night they plow the fields. Oh my god, <laughs> oh my god, Jeremy. <laughs> anyway, yeah. okay. Geneva and Clarence were married in 1941, right before Clarence was sent to serve in the U.S. Army during World War II. They had six children, I believe. Okay, and I say that because. There was so much conflicting information. Some people didn't have the name of one of the sons or just had like they had five kids or they had four. I found one article, which was an obituary for the oldest son when he died. That was that was in 2011. And they stated he had a sister. 
who was a Roberts. So it was from their parents. Mm -hmm. But they had six children, five sons, Bernard, Lauren, Forrest, Tom, Don, and then they had a daughter named Wilma. Geneva and Clarence were well-respected in Nashville and eventually all of Brown County. Geneva was timid but kind and welcoming. She stayed at home with their children and was very motherly. Clarence was described as being everyone's friend. He would do whatever he could to help anyone in need and was always happy. He worked hard and was always pushing to do whatever his mind set him to do. When he arrived back home from World War II, he ran for Brown County Sheriff and was elected in 1950. Nice. Yeah. He was also a board member for the National State Bank. Towards the late 50s and into the 60s, Clarence and his younger brother, Carson, started a popular, (laughs) popular and successful hardware store in Nashville. Clarence was also deep into the Freemasons and was able to climb to the status of 33rd degree. Whoa, yeah. all the way to the top, huh? Is that the top? I think 33rd, isn't that the I top? I apologize. I don't know much about the Masons. I yeah, should have looked either. into that, but For I... For good reason. For good reason. <laughs> to commemorate this achievement, he was given a ring from the Freemasons with a 33 engraved into it. Clarence was extremely proud of this and never took the ring off. Eventually, he retired as sheriff, and his youngest brother, Warren Roberts, was voted into his place. At this point, Clarence became obsessed with his wealth and physical possessions. That's it. His was that his brother or him? I'm sorry. Clarence became obsessed. Okay. Um, he started buying luxury vehicles. He bought an elaborate home for his family. He was living in the laps of luxury, but this was all at a large cost. He started getting deeper and deeper into debt. His family and friends immediately noticed the change with Clarence. Dolly, Clarence's sister-in-law, described it as if someone had a light on and then turned the light off. Clarence's light had suddenly turned off. To continue financing his extravagant lifestyle, Clarence sold the hardware store. He turned his sights to something that would bring in higher profits, Robert's Brothers Lumber Company, which he started with his brother, Carson, same brother he started the hardware store with. Together, along with the lumber company, they put all of their money into property investments. They bought into apartment complex and into a apartment complex and several grain elevators, hoping this would bring in revolving profits. Their properties stretched from Akron to Claypool and to Mentone. Unfortunately for Clarence, he put all his eggs in one basket. Which is funny because I said Mentone, and that's the egg capital of the so, United so States. <laughs> we're talking about Nashville instead of right? Indiana, He's all the way and up they're here. all the way up here yeah. to Mentone. All the way up here. Wow! Because mm-hmm. Mentone is what, like, just a hop it's south. It's like ten miles south of where we yeah. are right now. Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. So they had a pretty big, widespread, um, a, pr- a pretty big widespread, a pretty big spread around Indiana mm-hmm. that they're putting their investments into. So these investments only caused him to be in more debt. Clarence was scrambling and obtained a loan from Wabash Life Insurance Company in 1967. But once again, this just made his finances finances worse. At this point, Clarence was robbing Peter to pay Paul. The loan through Wabash Life Insurance Company came back to bite him. They alleged that Clarence had submitted altered fake and fictitious bills totaling between 130000 to 200000 A month? 
it just fake bills oh. to get the loan. Okay. During the summer of 1969, several lawsuits were filed against Clarence. Farmer State Bank of Mentone won $45,000. Irwin Union Bank and Trust Company of Columbus won over $9,000. First State Bank of Morgantown defaulted a $25,000 mortgage on Clarence's home. He also owed an undisclosed amount to the Nashville State Bank. It was also discovered that he had up to 12000 in unpaid accounts to lumber companies and wholesale business suppliers. The debts were becoming too much to bear and piling one after the next. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he was stealing from Peter to pay Paul. It just sounds like he was stealing from Peter and he wasn't paying Paul. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. In June of 1970, Clarence began discussing suicide to family members after he rejected filing for bankruptcy. Mid-September of 1970, Clarence spoke with his lifelong friend, Alvin Haggard, about his financial troubles. Alvin owned Al's Friendly Tavern, and Clarence was hoping maybe he could have some sort of advice for the next move to stop himself from drowning in his rising debts. During this conversation, Clarence proceeded to show Alvin a Swiss bank account card that he claimed had over $100,000 on it. Do you know what makes a Swiss bank account so special? Because uh, you don't have to pay taxes because it's not in the United States? That I do not know. No? No. Jeremy, do you know? No. <laughs> I, I want to say the same thing as she that Ashley yeah, said. They, I, that, they hide them overseas. Yeah, you hide your money Offshore over banking. Yeah. 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 Um, yes, yes, but so a Swiss bank account is known for having high levels of security and secrecy with low levels of financial risk. So Swiss bank accounts use numbers instead of names. So there's little to no knowledge of who is behind the accounts mm. other than the account users. It's considered offshore banking, which isn't illegal as long as you disclose that you're using banking outside of the U.S. Yeah, to pay taxes on it, but yeah. Yes. Obviously, Clarence was starting to hide his money so that he wouldn't be forced to pay those debts that he mm -hmm. owed. In October 1970, Clarence and Geneva stood outside of their home as Clarence's own brother, Sheriff Warren Roberts, repossessed two of his luxury cars. He begged Warren to stop but he had no choice but to take them. Clarence and Geneva didn't know what to do and were growing desperate. As more and more of his decade of debts began to catch up to him, his family continued noticing Clarence's changes. The once happy-go-lucky guy who seemed to have it all and was always able to figure it out suddenly was losing everything and losing complete control. It seemed that all he would speak about was his depression, his debts, and the continued business failures. On November 3rd, 1970, Clarence spoke to an attorney. Most of the conversation was about Clarence wanting to commit suicide. Through tears, he explained that, My widow will be the richest one in all of Brown County. Despite his pleas of suffering from depression and suicidal thoughts, no one took Clarence's cries for help seriously. Well, most um, life insurance policies don't pay out if it's suicide, too, mm -hmm. so don't you can't be flaunting that. Mm-hmm. They always knew Clarence as a hard-working, stoic kind of man. He always figured it out, no matter what. But it seems that they may have been wrong. On the afternoon of November 18, 1970, a bank officer arrived at the home of Clarence and Geneva. He was looking for Clarence to talk over a banknote that he had suspected was forged. 
After knocking for a while and getting no answer from the Roberts, the officer left. Shortly after he left, Charles Roberts, Clarence's cousin, saw Clarence outside mulching leaves and he stopped to chit-chat. Clarence mentioned that he was home alone because Geneva and their son, Lauren, were in Columbus, Indiana, having dinner. He didn't want to eat dinner alone that night, so he asked Charles to join him for sandwiches. Charles told him no, unknowing that this would be the last time that he would ever see his cousin. At around 6 p.m., 15 minutes after Charles left Clarence's home, the neighbor, Ella Cummings, saw a pile of leaves burning at the base of a tree near Clarence's barn and garage. She noticed the fire was starting to grow pretty rapidly, but instead of trying to notify Clarence, she called the fire department before it was too late. The fire department arrived between 6.20 and 6.30, 15 minutes after Ella had called. By the time they arrived, the fire had grown so large that it spread to the barn and had completely engulfed it. At 6.45, within 15 minutes, yep. At 6.45, Charles, Clarence's cousin, had heard what was going on and immediately returned to Clarence's home. By the time he got there, the barn had began to collapse, and the fire raged on. There was nothing that the firefighters could do to stop it due to the intense heat and warranting their own safety now that it was collapsing. Everything was far too gone. Even though two of Clarence's cars had previously been repossessed, Witnesses had commented that there were several vehicles parked in the east of the barn and one vehicle parked inside, Clarence's pickup truck. Firefighters were able to get the truck out before the barn had collapsed, but the water supply was limited, so that now that the barn wasn't able to be saved, they tried their best to save what they could around the uh, surrounding the barn before the fire spread. Mm-hmm. Containing it, at least. Yes. Yeah. Once the fire died... The firefighters proceeded to spray the embers to keep the fires from restarting. As they walked through what remained of the barn to access the damage and to salvage anything they could, they stumbled across a body. The body was completely destroyed, and as quoted by the firefighters, they could barely tell it was a body at all. Across the corpse lay a half-melted 16-gauge shotgun. Upon further inspection, they discovered that the body had no arms, and no legs. Dun, dun. <laughs> but they couldn't tell that it, if the shotgun had been used. Well, obviously... Th- okay, sorry. You're jumping ahead there. Yeah, I know. You could, yeah, we got to get it to the, <laughs> the coroner. Get I'm going to gonna shut up. Jack Bond, Brown County coroner, <laughs> okay. arrived on the scene. He feared Clarence had finally taken his own life to rid himself of his outstanding debts and the embarrassment that he had caused himself. They thought he started to burn the building down and then shot himself. The body was sent down to the morgue for an autopsy, but the man was impossible to identify as Clarence. They labeled the man as Mystery Man, 60 to 65 years old, balding white hair, about 5'8 to 6 foot. The cause of death was eventually ruled as carbon monoxide poisoning. Now, do those specs match the description of Clarence? God damn it. I'm sorry. I'll <laughs> shut up. I'm sorry. Okay, so the cause of death was eventually ruled as carbon monoxide poisoning. But pathologists concluded he was dead before the fire even started. Pathologists, including Dr. John Pless, agreed the body of the man found in the Roberts barn was that of Clarence Roberts. 
The next day, the detectives on the case started searching through the rubble more to look for any sign of evidence of who this man could be. There, hidden in the ashes, they found a lower right molar and Clarence's prized Masonic ring. But the ring was completely intact and barely damaged. Was it on a finger or was it just there? It was just there. Okay. And But the body had no arms and no legs. No okay. arms, no legs. Okay. Mm-hmm. The man that was concluded in 1970 as being Clarence Roberts was buried at Nashville's local cemetery. But this is not where our story ends. I want to ask a question, but I know you're going to say it. This is only where it begins. In December of 1970, Clarence's pickup truck was repossessed by the bank. Upon investigation of the truck, it eventually was claimed as evidence from the death. The truck was leaking a large amount of fumes, and it was discovered that over 30 holes were hammered into the exhaust system. Dr. Benz, who performed the autopsy, stated there was an absence of carbonous material in the respiratory tract and an absence of internal burning of the respiratory tract. But tests showed that the presence of 80 to 86 percent carbon monoxide in the blood. The truck was located in the barn. If the truck was running, Clarence would have never noticed the fumes due to carbon monoxide being odorless and colorless. Could this point to the theory that Clarence did die in the barn before the fires began due to carbon monoxide poisoning? And it could have been on purpose as well. He might not have known, but he might have known. He might have started it and just started Unintentional death. So Mm -hmm. let me break this down real quick. So the coroner said there's no burning from breathing in the fumes and the heat Mm -hmm. from the fire in his lungs. Yes. But... He, he does carbon. have carbon monoxide yeah. poisoning. Just like want to make levels, sure that we're yeah. very clear on that. Yes. Because I think that points in the direction that you're going. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. After discovering the damage to the truck, investigators on Clarence's case decided they wanted to exhume Clarence's body to do more thorough, do a more thorough autopsy. The coroner and mortician who performed the autopsy, Jack Bond, found no gunshot wound on the body. When they further invested the shotgun they discovered that it had been shot, which leads to a pretty obscure theory that the gun was shot inside the barn and started the barn fire. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I guess. I mean, if there's a bunch of carbon monoxide in the air, it's like if there's like a natural gas leak and you light a lighter. That's a bomb. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Even more wild within the investigation on the body was that it only had one kidney. When asked, Geneva stated her husband had never had surgery as far as she was aware. So Geneva is still alive. Geneva is still alive. She was at dinner with their son, Lauren. Okay, okay, because that was my question. I was like, she's not talking about Geneva. Yep. Geneva's Geneva's still kicking. Okay. So Clarence's dental x-rays didn't match the tooth found at the scene of the crime. Clarence had that particular tooth removed years before, which they only found one tooth. That's kind of weird to me. Yeah, out of the face, too. Like, it wasn't It wasn't in the jawbone. Yeah, that is strange. Maybe he kept his tooth. In the barn? It was kind of like his workshop, though, too. So, I don't know. People do weird stuff. We keep baby teeth. I don't. I I throw them away. I have baby teeth. It's so weird. That's such a weird weird. thing that people do. Um, But remember the body not having arms and legs? Investigators believe they were cut off before the fire even began due to finding hack marks. They also discovered... The blood type of the body found was type AB. According to his military records, Clarence had type B, which this is going to be a side story. Okay. 
I looked up whether your blood type can change or it's just something that you're born with. I think we're all under the impression that it's something you're born with. Mm -hmm. And it stays the same, always. Now, I looked this up because I had this happen to me. I grew up my entire life thinking I was A positive. My mom has records when I was a baby that I am A positive. When I got pregnant with my second baby, they did blood draws and said I was O positive. I was insanely confused, so either my blood changed types or someone got it wrong on the paperwork. Anyways, I looked it up and it can happen. It's fairly rare and happens only if someone has a really bad viral infection, gets a bone marrow transplant, or has certain types of cancers. But the more you know, right? I'm sure mine was just a clerical error, but maybe that's what happened in Clarence's situation. Fact can be stranger than fiction. (laughs) Investigators also dug deep into Clarence's prized ring. John Kennedy, who was a fire and explosion investigator for over 30 years, stated that the ring had a fairly low melting temperature. The ring would have melted before human flesh could have, and definitely before the shotgun. John Kennedy also investigated the area where the body was discovered. He found that the entire area was drenched in flame accelerants, which caused the fire to burn so quickly and so fiercely. I knew it. (laughs) Investigators now believed that this man was not Clarence Roberts. A witness came forward and explained that they had seen Clarence two days before the fires in, in Morgantown. On November 17, 1970, Clarence allegedly was seen in a bar speaking with a vagrant man who was passing through town. He was around the same size and shape of Clarence, between 5'7 to 5'9, and around the same age. Clarence bought him dinner and told him he needed some work done around his home. Weeding, raking leaves, he needed his lawn mowed. He stated he would be willing to pay him if he was interested in doing the work for him. And as they were leaving... The man collapsed to the sidewalk, suspectedly having a seizure. Clarence put the man in his vehicle and said he'd take him to a nearby hospital. But after learning this new information, the detectives checked all the hospitals within a 300-mile radius, and no one had been taken to the hospital fitting those ailments on that day. Investigators further learned that Clarence had taken out several life insurance policies several months before the fire. Altogether, they totaled to nearly $1 million. And who was the sole beneficiary to these policies? Oh, 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 oh. Pick him, pick him. Jeremy, Jeremy, can you tell me? Geneva. It was Geneva. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Despite the new findings within the case, many of the Roberts family members believed that Clarence was the man found in the fire. But they could never determine whether it was or it wasn't him. Regardless... Go, go ahead. Well, because if the guy was a vagrant, they would have nothing to compare it to. Mm-hmm. So he would just be a, a John Doe or a mystery man, as mm-hmm. they say. Regardless, Clarence was dead or he was missing. Geneva lost everything she had. She was forced to move to a rental home on the outskirts of town where a lot of the other Roberts family lived. Did, did it not pay out her insurance policies? We'll get there. <laughs> Sorry. This is killing you right now. It is because I have so many things to say. <laughs> but I'll let you tell your story. So she moved on the outskirts of town where a lot of the other Roberts family lived. And they called it Camp Roberts because they had all these like rental houses and mobile homes and stuff all in the same little area of land. To make ends meet, Geneva took on a job in the kitchen of a local diner as a dishwasher. For a decade, 
Geneva fought alongside her sons to get the insurance money she believed that she was rightfully entitled to. Yeah. Pathologist Dr. John Pless agreed that the body that was found in the fire was Clarence, even testifying in court on Geneva's behalf. Despite that, Geneva continuously lost all of her appeals. And Vegas... <laughs> what? Why? A, patho- a pathologist is saying, this is this man, this death is appears to be accident well or murder whatever accidental murder why would the wife not be entitled to her money that made that million dollar question no at this point sense. literally the million dollar question yeah <laughs> that makes no sense to me <clears throat> so investigators started surveying her home they would park outside and take photos of her and anyone they saw on her property they were convinced that Clarence was still alive they think that she knew Geneva was in on it and they were trying to become millionaires from false insurance claims. On top of the insurance, fraud allegations. Well, and she would... Oh, no, go ahead. She would still be responsible for his debt as well. So she's not going to be a millionaire. She still got has to allocate that money to all of his debts. Because mm-hmm. she doesn't just inherit the money, she inherits the debt as well. Well, and then paying the fees for the the trials and the lawyer fees and whatever else. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, even, that's not a logical theory in my head because they have all that debt too, Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. So on top of the insurance fraud allegations and after it was speculated that it wasn't Clarence's body, people started to come forward saying Clarence was alive. He was said to be jumping cities and states. Donald Barrett, testified in court during one of the insurance trials that he had seen Clarence in Mentone, Indiana, at a bar in April 1972 with an unknown woman, and it wasn't Geneva. In 1974 and 1975, Clarence was reported by witnesses to be seen in New Mexico, West Germany, and various places within Mexico. Yeah, with Tupac. I mean, <laughs> and Elvis, and Elvis, obviously. And yeah, I mean, he can. People well, look like other people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One Nashville resident, Robert Jr. Hillenberg, testified that he had seen Clarence in Las Palmas, Mexico in 1975. With more evidence coming forward and a review of the 1970 fire, a warrant was set out in 1975 for Clarence's arrest for kidnapping and murder of whomever was found in the first fire. In 1980, insurance companies officially declared that Clarence Roberts was not dead, despite the body found not being identified as not Clarence. They didn't know who it was, but they knew it wasn't Clarence. That is so annoying to me. That woman is still alone and lost all of that income. Yep. That does oh, not bet, change that fact. But I bet the insurance company jumped right on that, didn't they? They were oh, like, for if sure. we don't have to pay out, then. Like, oh, yeah. there's a rumor? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. okay. She, nor anyone else, could prove that the body was his, and he could still be alive. Geneva was refused the insurance payout. Geneva was exhausted mentally, physically, and financially. She pulled away from her friends and family and kept to herself inside of her home barely speaking to anyone. Of course, this sudden change in behavior did nothing but fuel rumors in the small town of Nashville. Local stores began to tell stories about how Geneva had come in and bought large quantities of alcohol, or that people saw her walking down the road with booze, which was shocking to most people because she was known as not being a drinker, mostly due to being diabetic. Neighbors began to talk openly about how they had seen a man walking in and out of Geneva's home, and he mostly stayed in the backyard. 
The man acted strange, and no one could ever get close enough to see who he was. Anytime people would try to speak with him, he would rush back inside the house. Considering a lot of the Roberts family lived near Geneva, when asked, they stated the man wasn't Clarence, but they weren't sure who he was exactly. They knew Geneva had a male friend that would visit occasionally, but they didn't know him. Clarence's sister, who lived across from Geneva, and her living brother stated that she would have told authorities if she saw Clarence. Not only was Geneva harassed by law enforcement, but also a local reporter tried to grow friendly with Geneva to get leads on the bizarre story of Clarence. She believed Geneva was hiding something or someone. She would go to Geneva's home to try to speak with her, and Geneva would immediately come out onto the porch to talk. She would never welcome the reporter into her home, which the reporter felt was odd because it was common respect to welcome someone in. The reporter did interview Clarence's sister, who stated that she had often heard Geneva speaking to someone, and that person would respond, but it, and it was definitely a man, but it was not Clarence's voice that she heard. When, when, when she was, when did she hear that? She lived right next door. Oh, so she could hear okay, Geneva okay. talking. I was like, was she hanging out over there? Or? <laughs> <laughs> so on Saturday, November 18th, 1980, at 11.25 p.m., Geneva's nephew, Steve, who lived in a mobile home in the front of Geneva's property, called the Brown County Sheriff's Department to report a fire at Geneva's residence. Despite fighting the blaze for hours on end, the entire house was engulfed and destroyed. After getting the fire under control, a woman's body was found charred on what was left of a cot at 1.06 a.m. A second body, male, was found in the other room of the home at 3.20 a.m. Investigators combed through the debris and ash between 2.50 a.m. until 5.30 p.m., hoping to find every bit of evidence that they could. After a thorough investigation, it was determined that the house was intentionally set on fire and there was at least one homicide. There was an accelerant found at the scene, turpentine, which was found poured all over and around the body of the female. From there, it was trailed through the home to the room where the second body was found, which was a storage room, and then out the back door. After an autopsy, the female body was positively ID'd as Geneva Roberts. After blood work came back, they discovered her blood alcohol level was 0.3%, which is extremely high. That's <laughs> at, really high. Yep. At 0.08%, you're considered drunk. And at 0.3%, you're puking, you're unconscious, your circulation and breathing become impaired, all kinds of crazy stuff. The grand jury on the case concluded that she became unconscious due to the alcohol intoxication. She was in a diabetic coma or possibly both. Considering she rarely drank, if at all, this was entirely too much alcohol for her body to handle. The second body was located in the storage room of the home. The room was saturated with turpentine. As the turpentine turned to vapor, the fumes were ignited by the wood stove that was located in the storage room. The body also had a high blood alcohol content, 0.2%. Authorities and the mortician were almost certain the man they found during the second fire was Clarence Roberts. The same pathologist that was certain the body in the first fire was Clarence Roberts now redacted his statement and said, this body was Clarence. <laughs> well, that probably loses some credibility. Well, I think he's wrong. I think he's wrong. He, On the, the, you think he's wrong the second time? 
I think he's wrong both times, but I think he's wrong definitely the second time. Okay, okay. He based this conclusion off of an x-ray Clarence had done on his collarbone and the collarbone of the body of the man in the second fire. That's it. Dental records pulled from Clarence's files found only a 60% match to the body found in Geneva's home. What was, was there a surgery or something that, how is a collarbone x-ray? Well, I just feel like, uh, how many collarbones look the same? That's what I'm saying. Was there like a, he should have three screws in his collarbone? He never had a surgery. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's that's a strange way to identify mm-hmm. a body. Mm-hmm. I could not but find the, whether they did what the blood type for this man was. I could not find it. But the they female, did it on the first one. The female was without a doubt. Geneva. Yes, without a doubt, it was Geneva. The second one, the body was once again completely burned beyond. Who is this dude? It's a great question. The grand jury stated. Because there is no evidence indicating any wounds, it appears that the male subject was either overcome by alcohol or overcome by fumes from the solvent, which had been poured throughout the residence. It is our conclusion that the female identified as Geneva Roberts was murdered. The cause of the death of the male appears to be accidental. While third-party participation is possible, existing evidence does not support that theory. So they think maybe he did it. The guy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Both victims' cause of death was smoke inhalation. Although the family believed the woman found in the home was Geneva, they refused to believe the body of the man was Clarence. So much so that the family refused to claim the body and refused to sign any legal statements from the mortician, once again Jack Bond, saying it was Clarence. Well, they had already done that once, right? And they accepted that body and they buried him, didn't yes. they? So, yeah, they think that that's him. Geneva was cremated and buried next to the man who died in the first fire. At the time of his death, his gravestone was labeled Clarence Roberts. But once the investigators on the case settled that the second body found in the second fire was allegedly Clarence Roberts, they removed the stone and labeled that gravesite as a John Doe. They can do that against the family's wishes? Uh Uh-huh. I did not know that. Clarence Roberts was cremated by the state and given a pauper's grave and funeral. His headstone is labeled Clarence Roberts with the death date as November 18, 1980. The whole town and family is split by the one question we're all asking. What actually happened to Clarence Roberts? Did he die in the first fire? His nephew Bob White and several of his sons believe so. Did he die in the second fire with his wife? Was he the man who was seen walking around Geneva's property? Detectives believe so. Or what about the chance that Clarence didn't die in either? His sister-in-law is sure he left and never came back. One thing is for sure. Geneva herself was murdered. Either Clarence or a third party set out to cause harm on the Roberts family. Although this seems to be more about the mysterious circumstances of Clarence, I believe the true victim and unsolved murder is that of Geneva Roberts. So, Ashley... Tell me your thoughts. Okay. Oh, she's got a bunch of them. Look well, at her. Okay. I don't understand. There should be a lot more focus on the fact that the guy had no arms and no legs in the first fire. That was obviously, that sounds like some kind of hit mm-hmm. to me. Like, if it, w- have, if it was Clarence, he owed all these people money, maybe some loan sharks that aren't documented, mm-hmm. you know, in his finances. Okay, so maybe they 
dismembered him and tortured him and, you know, and killed him. So during a lot of the interviews that I watched of his family, it's also in Unsolved Mysteries, that episode, they talked about how Clarence was not capable of murder, which I know everybody wants to say that about, but they knew Clarence as being a loving man. Mm -hmm. He was depressed. Yes. Was he suicidal? No. Was he a murderer? No. I thought he was suicidal. Would he? But he was all talk. Would he actually kill himself? Is what they were oh, saying. Would saying he actually he do it? No, they didn't. Yeah, think so. but yeah, you, but mm. that's what everybody says. In desperate times, people do crazy stuff. Yeah. Okay, I have a second. Okay. Theory. Okay. So second theory being, he the it wasn't him the first time. He staged that to try and get money for him and his wife. Mm-hmm. Battling, battling for ten years, didn't get any money. So he decided to just kill both him and his wife in the second fire yes. because it didn't work right and they were drowning in debt and she was depressed and and so he, they just decided to yeah end it um see the the reason why I don't think that this was Clarence in the second fire I don't definitely don't think it was him in the first fire but I definitely don't think it's him in the second fire is because dental records are like a fingerprint Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty obvious and only being a 60% match. Yeah, but being on the lamb, maybe, because if it wasn't him in the first fire, he's obviously been, you know, hiding his identity for 10 years. He could have had a, like an abscess tooth or something and just ripped it out himself. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be no record of that. So that's going to drop the percentage by 5%. Yeah, but it's also the way your teeth are shaped. The size of your teeth. Yeah. Like, it's a whole thing. Not to mention, you can look on social media when we post these pictures of, of Clarence in Geneva. Clarence wasn't a guy you'd forget to, to see. Um, the, and I don't mean to be mean about this, but the guy had the thickest eyebrows I've ever seen in my life. Like, he's, he had a memorable he had memorable features. Yes. Um, um, Eugene Levy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Think of Eugene Levy. Big, thick, black eyebrows. People that were around Geneva's home that saw the man outside said that that wasn't Clarence. Could they be lying to cover it for for him? Maybe. Um, But very unlikely. That's a lot of people that are saying the same thing. Friends, family. Conspiracy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I feel like those eyebrows, you could see them from a mile away. (laughs) So. If that would have been the first thing. Those are the eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Those are Clarence's eyebrows. I see them. They're two caterpillars getting ready to kiss. Like, yeah. it's... <laughs> or they're already kissing. His were separated, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't think that was him either. Um, and I feel like it would take a lot of work to hide someone like that for several years. They would see, you know, him coming or whatever. Yeah, it, it, being looking for Clarence, you're saying. Yes. To hide, especially on the property that you supposedly died at. Yes. Okay, yeah. Well, and like um, the family had said that they knew that Geneva had a, a male friend that would occasionally come and stay with her for a couple of days. Yeah. When you're in a small town and something big like this happens, they're watching risky. you like a hawk. That'd be way too risky. And they probably knew that. They mm-hmm. knew that they were well-known within town. People respected them, which I know crazier things have happened and that you can't base that off of what somebody would do. I'm wondering if somebody, one of the debtors that he had, maybe he had a bad 
debt with somebody that wasn't a bank. And he wanted them to think he was dead? No, they came and killed Geneva and whoever was in her home. Because the, oh, okay. the turpentine went from Geneva, went to the storage room through the house, to the storage and room. And out the back door. And out the back door. Okay, yeah. You know, if it was clearance, maybe he did come back in and, and tried to start the fire or something in the storage room, but... Because yeah, it could it could be it could be jealousy too. He maybe he was maybe Geneva thought he was dead from the first fire. He wasn't. Mm-hmm. He was just trying to get her money or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then she started seeing this new suitor, and he's seeing this happening, and that he found pissed out him about off. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! There's so many possibilities. You uh, took the words out of my mouth on that one. Really? Is that what so, you were thinking? <clears throat> so okay, let, let me let me throw it back here. During the first fire, you said the the body was covered in accelerant. Was it turpentine? It didn't say. It, didn't it just say. said it was accelerant. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Rewind. He's in a bar, meets uh, a, the vagrant. a vagrant mm-hmm. who's coming through. The vagrant, he's going to take him back. Let's say, let's, let's, let's just stop and say that that was legit. He's got a guy down in his luck because he's kind of traveling. Let's help him out. You know, I've got a few household chores. I can pay a few bucks, you know, and you can, you know, have some money in your pocket and get on your way. Out of the car, the guy goes down, has a heart attack. He dies in his truck. Okay, let's say that. So now he doesn't know what to do. Uh You know, small town, what happens if I have a dead body, you know. Well, the questions could be terrible. So he goes back, and now he's starting to panic. What do I do with this body? Because the guy's died. Mm-hmm. So he starts to, well, I'll dismember him and throw him in the woods. Or So he starts to hack off his arms. So let's say this takes a couple harder days. You know, mm-hmm. he's Yeah, it's definitely going to be harder than he thought. I yeah. mean, you know, yep. he ever tried to, to uh, carve a turkey. You know how hard those bones are to you know get the legs and the wings off, you know. So it's harder than you ever possibly think, I'm sure. I don't know. Because. And it's super I gross. Never, I never did that. It's gross just to carve a turkey. I can't imagine trying to cut up an actual body. So yeah. now he's in the middle of panic because now, you know, this is taking too long, blah, 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 blah. What do I do with this body? Boom, the light bulb goes off. I'm in over my head. I need to get out. I have this man here that has a similar build to me. Let's yeah, fire it up. It just conspired. Yeah. Let's just and I mean it's just one of those things that just kind of that kind of uh snowballed into into this idea. So he sets him on fire. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he takes off. And then we get into ten years down the road. Well, wait, my wife that loved me oh so much has now had a male suitor and he comes back, mm-hmm. sneaks in, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Burns the place down. Mm-hmm. Now, how would he uh, – none of his cars were – two of his cars were repoed. All the other cars were there. So you think he just like walked off into the darkness and – Hard to say. Yeah. But that would explain why the ring didn't melt. You know, he wants that he to be – He dropped it in there. Yep. Yeah, he, he wants wanted it to be. evidence or proof. Yeah. Yeah, yeah when when uh, fire departments start to show up and, you know, everything starts to happen, and mm-hmm. he throws the ring on the body and then moves on and goes out the back and is long gone because obviously – you said that they didn't realize there were vehicles around the back, mm-hmm. right? So they weren't looking out that way. Mm-hmm. Only witnesses yeah. saw yeah. that. So, you know, you head out the back way. Well, and, and their house just... got repossessed, too. Once Clarence died and, right. you know, they were already in all this debt, their house got repossessed, too. She had to go find a, a rental house which right. on Camp Roberts. So if he stayed at the home, they would have seen him having to leave that home at some point. He couldn't be there forever. Right. So it's very plausible that he actually burnt the first body as a cover-up to 
to get yeah. the insurance money. And then when he realized that his wife didn't just pine over him the rest mm-hmm. of the rest of her days, he came back and took care of. Or maybe they had an agreement that if she doesn't get the life insurance, she doesn't want to deal with it it's anymore. Like a suicide because pact yeah, because I mean she was harassed by right. the reporters mm-hmm. by constantly yeah, and it was it's really sad. Like the reporter just that one ticks me off so bad because you're trying to be your friend. Just and you're just to trying to get information. Your, yeah, yeah, your, your career. Yeah. Yep. You know, the police were staking outside of her house, you know, saying, I don't know. I think, I don't think he had maybe ill intentions. I think you're right. I think maybe it was just a, a an opportunity that fell into his lap quite literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that yeah, guy. And, and then it just maybe just spiraled out of control. Which the the rest of his life was out of control. Yeah. Right. So yeah, he's he's not thinking straight, and mm-hmm. he uses it to his advantage. I do I do have another question though. Mm-hmm. You said that he was in business when all these businesses that he had, he was with his brother. Mm-hmm. Was his brother in debt? That was, wasn't he the sheriff? Either. Didn't you say he was the sheriff? No, Warren. A, his his young brother. his okay. youngest brother yeah. Warren was the sheriff. Yeah, it's Carson. Carson and Carson Clarence. was right underneath I of keep him. Getting confused. Yeah. Okay, I don't know, but I don't know if Carson was also. Going and spending all this money the same way He might way have that already Clarence had the was. income and Clarence had to borrow the income. Could be. And I don't know if he kept his half of the hardware store either. I oh, okay. find that out. See, my initial thought was why not just start selling the businesses off? You know, they're far enough away. And if you're, if you're thinking about a standard of what the community would think of you, it's like, oh, he's in so much debt and he's got to sell all these, these businesses. But they're clear up here, up in the north. I mean, we're talking yeah. four hours away yeah, from Brown County. From far. Brown County, um, you can sell the Mentone business, or sell the um, Claypool business, and nobody would really know. And you can start to recoup some of that money yeah. and put it back into what you do owe, or pay back your lenders, or stuff like that. I don't understand why that wasn't part of the part of the situation, unless it was more about pride than anything else. Probably, yeah. Or he might have been trying to sell and just. It, they weren't well, selling. That could very well be. If they're not yeah. worth anything. No yep. one's going to buy them. Mm-hmm. So. That's true. Yeah, it was an apartment complex, and two, well, several. I can't say two. Several grain uh, elevators. So mm. I don't know how profitable this those is are. So wrapped in mystery and fraud, and I cannot believe that this is not a well-known case nationwide. Mm-hmm. That is insane to me. This well, I mean, cool it, I mean, obviously, cool. it kind of is if you watch it on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, and that was in 1980s. Yeah, That's oh, that how, was an 80s case. That like it, the case was in 1980, but the Unsolved Mysteries was from the late. I believe it was from the late 80s. It was the first season Unsolved Mysteries came out. So it is nationally known. It is a pretty big, pretty big deal. I just have never heard of it. I Mm-mm. guess like not to the. Yeah. Okay. Well, and Unsolved Mysteries didn't even go in this in depth. It's it's like a fifteen minute little blurb, mm-hmm. and they move on. Yeah, like they don't they didn't talk about um, the de- dental records only being sixty percent. Yeah, they just kind of graze over give, it, give it notoriety. That's insane. What? That was a good one. Why are you laughing? I have one more question. Oh God, what is it? <laughs> oh God! Did we really need to cremate? <laughs> oh Lord! Oh, oh no! I am so sorry. Jeremy. My due respect. Oh, uh, but I thought of that when you said that that they, they you're had right. cremated. Oh, you're right. You're right. Can we something. just can we just take it a dustpan in and? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I'm so sorry, listeners. I'm so sorry. We, you all were thinking of the same thing. I can't. I can't even. I have nothing to say. That is rest in peace, Geneva yeah, Roberts. Yeah. Yes, that is just cloaked in misdirection. Well, and then reiterating to my last case about Stephen, mm-hmm. forensics wasn't available. DNA forensics wasn't available in nineteen eight until nineteen eighty six. So they couldn't really do forensics, any kind of DNA to match DNA. But they could exhume those bodies, right? And get not if you need oh those bodies? Yeah, 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 yeah. They should do that. They should do that. The John <laughs> Doe do and then I don't know who they would get it from. Maybe their sons. Just just the to DNA know who is who. Because if it's if if it is clearance in the first fire then what the fuck happened the second time around? Yeah. Or if it's neither. Right. What if it is the vagrant in the first neither, one and then her gentleman caller in the second one? If it's neither, then Clarence, Clarence? Clarence obviously did both of them. If if he's not the person in. But if he is the person in the first one, then what the fuck the second time around? Or here, I'm going to go off on a crazy tangent. Let's hear what it. if since Geneva was drunk, she went outside, got the turpentine, let it throughout the whole house, knocked that guy unconscious, then trailed it off to bed, covered herself in it, and the fire started. I was just like, about, I'm done. I was just about to go there. What if it was her as as a tribute to him? Right. Mm-hmm. Wait, what was the date of the first fire? Because wasn't it like the, exactly 10 years later almost? Mm-hmm. Like almost to the day or no? Let me go back. I know the second was November 18th. November 18th, yeah. Of 1980. So what was the first one? Because it was 1970. Well, it had to have been because we've been talking about November Christmas. 17th. It was... No, excuse me. November 19th. So it was exactly... 10 years. Because it, had, it happened that night. So it, maybe it happened at midnight, right? That's What, insane. the second fire? Yeah. Yeah, it because, happened at 11... Yeah, on the 18th. So she was trying to... Hit that anniversary, oh. or he? I was gonna oh. ask that when you were talking earlier, but I was like, okay, I'm not gonna interrupt. I can wait till the end. Be patient, Ashley. That's a good one. Right? That's a good one. So mm-hmm. exactly. So the 10 year anniversary to the day. Yeah. The second fire happened. Wow. That is Wowza. insane, crazy. Oh Lord. That that oh, that was had, such a good. Case. You had me the whole way. I, I know. Just, I kept looking at him like, are you shitting me right now? I could see it in her face. You had her really, really good. Yeah, I told you it was a doozy, a big doozy. Yeah, wow. Yep. To find photos about this case and others we have covered in the past, please jump over to our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. We're on them all. While you're at it, feel free to give us a follow. Give our partners golden image podcast to follow too and we'll share updates and all future episode releases on all of our social media pages speaking of episode releases we're available wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts apple spotify stitcher wherever else and soon we'll have video up on youtube and at this point i'm begging please rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts and spotify this helps us get noticed and get up in the charts. We appreciate every single five-star review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we appreciate every review. But Agreed. Spread the word. I think word of mouth is the best. I'm old school. Just tell your friends, too. Yeah, tell your Don't friends. Just share rate. links. Do whatever you got to do. Yeah. Tell the people that are sitting beside you at a football game. There you go. Yeah. yeah just yeah. like Jeremy. Shameless promotion, right? <laughs> Shameless promotion. Uh, and I'd be interested in, in all that while you're doing that. 
throw a comment out there. What do you think happened? Yeah, tell us. That would be awesome. Tell us what your opinions are on this because oh, it's there's no and there's only there's only three of us to speculate. So we all put our noggins together. We're not geniuses. We don't think of everything. So let us know if we, you know, if you think of something that's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they didn't mention this theory or let's hear it. Yep. Comment on uh, the Instagram post, the Facebook post, wherever we post. And if you have any suggestions, comments, concerns, or a case that you'd like for us to cover, um, Ashley and I are always on our Facebook, our Instagram, our email, which is murdnerds at gmail.com. Feel free and just we'll have a conversation about this. If there's any cases that you want us to cover within Indiana, links and credits are available in the show notes everywhere this episode is posted. And before we head out, I'd just like to give a quick thank you to my co-host, Ashley, and our producer, editor, and our um deleter, Jeremy. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and thank you. Thank you to all of our fellow murder nerds out there who keep listening every week. We appreciate every single one of you. So until next time, bye. Bye. bye.